It is Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 348. It's too hot to wear a suit. My name's Caleb Egg. And yeah, it's way too hot to wear a suit. <laughs> For me too. Probably hotter. Hey, I'm Rob Vanhoff. Hey, Rob, tap on your yeah. mic real quick. You're not coming through that mic. You're coming through your uh, another mic. Switch it for me, would you? Ah, uh, the logistics. Hey, what's up, everybody? There we go. There I've you, arrived. There you go. Um, okay, so uh, we got uh, we got a good showing in the chat room already, and the numbers continue to rise. So welcome We're chat up room. We're up to fifteen now. Right, eighteen. I'm I'm seeing yeah. eighteen, nineteen. Uh, welcome everyone. We cap it at thirty six. Exactly. If, we, if you're like number 37, you're, it's like you're waiting for someone to leave and then they let you in. <laughs> and yes, exactly. Um, and it might happen pretty quick. So so uh, we got uh, people shout outs from uh, Illinois. We got shout outs from Cape Town. Uh, yeah. Cape Town. Cape Town. South Africa. What time is it in Cape Town right now, Sean? That's crazy. Sean sent Dude. us an email this morning. We're gonna we're gonna touch on that, that a little bit later. That is awesome. That's called dedication, sir. That is called dedication. Uh, six thirty-two p.m. Oh, well, there you go. That's not too bad. So it's evening. So it's dinner time. All right. For supper. I don't know what are they saying in Cape Town. Is it dinner or supper? Matt from Tennessee. Awesome. What up? Okay. Hey, welcome everybody in the chat room. You can keep telling us where you're from. Good to see everybody. And Sean, Sean, Sean writes back in military time, 1832. <laughs> All right, 632 nice. for, for those who don't know. I All have right. to do the math. I'm, uh, I'm, I, I'm raised with that 12-hour thing, you know. But military, yeah, it's like 2,400. Let me tell you, so the uh, producers are coming up on, on our screen right now for those on YouTube, and uh, we are very grateful for our producers. And we are going to have a new producer credit coming up here in the next couple weeks, probably in the next uh, week, I would say. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. You can find it on messiahmatters.com. And uh, yeah. You, you can... Am I hearing a need for another jingle? <laughs> we got the people now. We got the people now. Uh, Alfred says uh, from the Philippines. We also So the Philippines, South Africa, Idaho, Tennessee, uh, Illinois, represent... Uh, very good. And uh, nice. yeah, it is, let's see here, 12.33 a.m. in the Philippines. So Alfred is really, he, now I don't know, most people probably don't know about people in our chat room, but Alf, Alfred is uh, a an amazing, and I mean amazing artist. I'm not positive, but I think Alfred does that for a living. I think that he is a artist by by trade. And uh Boy, oh boy, some of the stuff that he has done is, is unbelievable. So maybe he put down the, the pencil, the, the paints, for a moment to listen to the show. All right. Uh, if you are in the chat room or not, doesn't really matter. You can still be a part of the conversation. Oh, and Beginning of Wisdom. I, I didn't even realize Beginning of Wisdom is the one who is uh, is in, in Idaho. Where are you at in Idaho, brother? Uh, the Beginning of Wisdom is the... Uh, is the YouTube channel that has dedicated itself to uh, basically coming against uh, Torah observance from believers. And I went on his show to talk about that, and we're trying to set it up again. Um, so Going again, against, huh? Yes. But you know what? Civil conversations, man. It was it was good to... Uh, it was good. And we didn't really talk about probably the key issues. It was more of an introduction to each other's audiences, I would say. And uh, so I hopefully... To be honest with you, what I'm doing is I'm waiting for my new office to be built. Um, the Lord has has been extremely gracious to us, uh, to my wife and, and my family and I. And uh, oh, he's in Greater Boise. I wish I would have known that. I was just in Boise a couple months ago, brother. I, we could have sat down and had some coffee. Anyway, um, so uh, uh, yeah, I think that the, once my office is done, it'll be a lot easier to to have these kind of uh, these kind of conversations on on you know with people that we. Our brothers with, brothers and sisters with, yet uh, might disagree on certain things. That's totally fine. Um, anyway, good to have everybody who's in the chat room uh, be a part of the conversation. Welcome, one and all. Yes, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Messiah Matters wants to hear from you. Leave us a comment, a question or two. Call 253-465-3205. I love that. Whoop. Okay. And uh, let's see here. Uh, you can also give us an uh, email, chegg at torahresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G -G at torahresource.com. 
Com. Okay. That's classic. You know, we are a classy kind of show here at Messiah Matters. We got to, we got to, because of our listeners, it's because of our listeners, we have a website now uh, that actually is our call, messiahmatters.com. Awesome. We have a, uh, we have a jingle for our, I mean, yeah, we can keep them We're still doing this. We're still doing it. It's unbelievable. I just wrote Bool, B-O-O-L, because of our listeners. Because of our listeners. That's right. The Bool Pool. Artist and art teacher is Alfred. Okay. We'll email awesome. the artwork. I would love to see more of your artwork, brother. Okay, um, enough of all that. Let's uh, let's get to the show. Uh, sorry, we've been we've been chatting, chat, 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 and now it's time to move on. Uh, this was a YouTube comment that was uh, left on a video about seat seat and believers. So, if you don't know what seat seat are, uh, this is a command that comes in Numbers fifteen thirty seven. And actually, uh, this would be interesting to talk about in terms of what is this because it doesn't seem as though it was ceremonial. Uh, for those who believe that the Torah was chopped into ceremonial, civil, and, and moral, in fact, the tzitzit command comes right after the guy is stoned for breaking the Sabbath. And so this seems like it's it's actually uh, attached to moral law. So then the question would be if the uh, mainstream Christian belief that uh, the Torah is, uh, that the moral, or that the, uh, I'm sorry, this civil and ceremonial aspects of the law have been done away with, then what about tzitzit? Because tzitzit seems to be a moral law. All of that. To, just yeah, to, just yeah. To, the, the tzitzit commandment is so important because it. we need the reminder of what Jeremiah the prophet says is that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all. Right. <clears throat> Jeremiah 17. And that faith in God is the only thing that is pleasing to him. And there's no keeping any Torah except the way Yeshua instructs us, it's a love of God, which is the Shema, right? Hero Israel, he right. says in Mark. And love your neighbors yourself. And everything else hangs on on these. And and the tzitzit is a commandment that reminds us of the evil heart, the evil human heart, our need for redemption, right. our need for regeneration. And, of course, I know you're going to ask about the color, the blue. Right, I think that's it's, where we're going. Yeah, all right, go. Okay, so they say, th- thank you. Never even noticed it said blue. Uh, numbers 1537 and following, by the way, for those who want to look this up. I wonder why I've seen Orthodox Jewish people wear just white. Do you know? Yes, we do know. Um, now, I will give a quick rundown of this, and then Rob can jump in and, and tie up all the loose ends. <laughs> tie up. <laughs> yeah, you got the pun. For those who tied seats, yeah, exactly. you know, you're tying up the ends. Okay. So, um, so in the in the in the Hebrew, it's uh, the word for blue is tehelit. This was a uh, this is a specific blue slash maybe purple that was used, and they believe that it actually came from a snail. So there's a specific sea snail that when I th- I think this is what happens when it gets uh, uh, aggravated or scared, it it shoots this dye, and so what they would do is they would actually harvest these snails, and then they would uh, they would collect the dye, and, and this is how they would make these royal colors of blue and purple. Yes. And so the uh, the the basically the question was, should we use a different blue or a different purple that is not from the snail? And um, over time, the, the uh, Jews said, no, we shouldn't. It should only be from the snail. Well, the snail was believed to have gone extinct. And uh, so for years and years and years, they didn't have the blue or the purple that they thought should go on the tzitzit. So they just made them white. Now, this is extremely interesting to me because I believe, this is a personal opinion, I believe that the blue represents Yeshua. I believe that the that Jesus is the, is the blue that uh, holds all the commandments together. Romans tells us that you can't keep any of the commandments unless you do it through Christ. And so the point is that uh, I think that the blue was representative of the king, uh, that we are able to be justified through and that we are able to keep any commands through. Right, and he's with us. Right. And we are cleansed through him. Yeah, indwelled yeah. by the Holy Spirit, all these kind of yeah. things. So it's th- beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, the imagery is 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 really very beautiful. And uh, anyway, so uh, when when the Jews reject Yeshua, basically the Tehillit goes extinct. They aren't able to put the blue in their tzitzit. And uh, ah, I see where uh, you're going uh-huh. with that. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, now in the uh, so it differentiates, like in Hasidism, for example, generally it's white, all white seat seat. Yes. 
right? Yes. So, but but not in every, not oh, in every. Oh, okay, uh, so so situation. so in the twentieth century, they found the snail again. They said, "Oh, okay." They found the snail. They started uh, they started harvesting these snails basically at this point, and all of a sudden they were able to create this blue again. And then there was this debate between the Hasids and the Orthodox and all this: should we put the blue in the tzitzit? And at this point in time, what do the Torah, the believing Torah followers of the time, whether or not theologically they were on or off, that makes no difference. the The Torah followers, the believing Torah followers at the time, say. The blue is here. We're going to put it in our tzitzit. And so they do. And so the first people that really like this, this tehillit, we call it the tehillit, it comes, it explodes onto the scene in the messianic slash Hebrew root circles. And this is really who's wearing the, the tehillit, not only in America, but also in Israel. And with the help of some good Israeli, clever Israeli salesman. Yes, exactly. Always ready to, always ready to, to <laughs> capitalize. To yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. And so, and so uh, th- this is really where... It's from Israel. <laughs> Exactly. So the so the Orthodox then see that the believers in in Yeshua are wearing this tehillah, and that's really the deterrent. They don't want to do something that's going to associate them with believers, and so they say, "Well, it's kind of up to you and your your rabbi, what whatever your rabbi decides." Okay. So now in Israel, it's starting to kind of catch on a little bit more. You'll see Orthodox with blue in their in their tzitzit, but for the most part. No, it's it's mainly believers, at least up until the past, I don't know, 10 years maybe, it was only believers. So that's why you don't see the uh, the, the blue in in the Orthodox. Um, yeah, anything else to add to that? Nope. We got some weird, I got some weird sounds going on in my, in my audio. I don't, I can't fix it now. Anyway, what, okay. What, what, what? Okay. That wasn't me. We're going to do another quick one. We're going to do another like one-off. Okay, here we go. Um, so this is another comment on a, on a YouTube video. So if circumcision is still a commandment, cause we said that, uh, we believe that circumcision is actually still a commandment and, uh, we've talked at length about this, so we're not going to go into all the different passages that people will bring up from Galatians and whatnot, but nonetheless, so, so this is a comment on one of our videos about circumcision. So if circumcision is still a commandment, and by the way, I don't understand this comment, but anyway, so if circumcision is still a commandment and salvation, that is justification, uh, acceptance by God, so on and so forth, has always been by faith, which it has, then how in the world did the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit by faith, though being uncircumcised? Because circumcision didn't, and I'm going to stop there. Well, actually, let's keep going, which shows that... Yeah, I might need you to start over, but that's okay. Keep going. Which shows that God accepts them as they are, question mark. Make it make sense. Okay, so if circumcision is still a commandment and and salvation has always been by faith, then how in the world did the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit by faith, though being uncircumcised? Um, Because circumcision didn't bring the the Holy Spirit. Wait, 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 wait. But Abraham believed... And before was, he was circumcised. Exactly. That's the whole point in, in Romans 4, right? Uh, Paul hammers this out. Um, and Romans 3. Or, and and uh, I, I'm sorry, Galatians 3. Yeah. So, right. Abraham is. You know what's in? This is really interesting. I'm, I'm, this is actually an interesting topic for another reason. I, you know, Caleb, I've walked around with many books, potential books, Lord willing, at least one of them will finish in my lifetime. But one is this whole. The, it, this whole issue and how in rabbinic tradition, the rabbis had to go back and say how Adam was created circumcised and how um, Enoch was born circumcised. Right. Noah was born circumcised. There's a stream of rabbinic midrash that has to go back and is saying Melchizedek was born circumcised. And, <laughs> yeah. and the reason why, why, why do they need to say this? Yeah, Because they're like, Hmm. Wait a minute. There, okay. Those Christians have a point. Christian theology has a point. We can't move a budge on. So I'll tell you what. Yeah, he was born circumcised. Right. So yeah. so so basically, the I think that uh, which undermines it. It undermines the commandment for the for, and that's why I don't think it lasted. I, I think it emerges as a rabbinic midrashic mo, uh, riff that they play around with. But ultimately, if a child is born circumcised, then the commandment to be circumcised or for the father to circumcise the son is uh, is inapplicable. And we know Yeshua was circumcised the eighth day. John the Baptist circumcised the eighth day. 
Paul circumcised the eighth day. What, why does the apostolic writings tell us this? Because it's saying, look, Torah matters. Right. So uh, aspiring OO is the person who left the comment. I don't know if you fully un- I think it's ooh. Aspiring, aspiring ooh. ooh. I don't think you fully understood the, uh, the, the point. The point is, is that God justifies not by any work that any person does. Justification, justification by faith, by grace, not that we've done anything. God thief, so- thief on the cross. Yeah. Soft, God softens the heart and we um and then and then calls us and turns us and and allows us to respond. So all of that to say, no, circumcision has nothing to do with, do with being justified. Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. Okay? And this is like just like baptism. So this is where I would. So if we go into uh, you know Christian denominationalism, this is where I would strongly disagree with the Episcopals, and I'd strongly disagree with the Catholics. We are given grace by God before any work that we do. Okay, He turns the heart, and the Episcop- and, and that that grace was given before the creation of the world. Yes. So so that it's not it's not earned along the way, and we don't impress God. And uh, this isn't to say that we we live outside of time. We're going to get to that concept in a little bit. But the point here is that that we are given God's grace not on account of anything we do. Unlike the Catholics and the Episcopals who would say that uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper is when we actually receive the grace of God. So according to the Episcopals, you have faith, and then uh, and that turns you to receive the sacraments, and then you receive the sacraments, and through the sacraments, God's grace is given to you. Do you, do you have the Catholic quote, the best of all religions? <laughs> I think I do somewhere. Um, yeah, if, if I'm not. a Catholic, which is the best of all the religions, really, because we have the most rules and the best clothes. <laughs> yes. That guy delivers that so well. <laughs> yeah, That's- he does. Uh, anyway, so so the the point here is simply that uh, we are given grace and we are given faith uh, by God, and we are justified not by any work that we do, including circumcision. Circumcision is I believe that circumcision is still a commandment. I think that we st- still should be circumcising our sons. I believe that it is a sign of the virgin birth and a sign of the Messiah who would come, God incarnate, right? And so I believe that all of this is wrapped up into circumcision. I've written on this, by the way, on uh, on Torah Resource. Um, anyway, so so all of that to say, all of that to say, no, circumcision has nothing to do with receiving the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with uh, with um, justifying you or anything like that. Rather, yeah, there were there were plenty of circumcised Jews, eighth day circumcised Jews in the first century that rejected Yeshua. They yeah. didn't have the Holy Spirit. You know, it didn't it didn't benefit them. With respect to election, right? You know. Okay, so I do want to come back here. Um, so th- there was some um, some comment on the tzitzit in the chat room. So let's circle back real quick. Must tzitzit be made of pure material like one hundred percent cotton or one hundred percent wool, but not both? Okay. Um, so no, what you're thinking about would be the wool and linen. The Torah is specific that we're not supposed to mix. We're not supposed to, uh, mix wool and linen woven together, but outside of that, there's no here. And this actually took me uh, a while to wrap my head around because I'm a person for following the rules a lot of the time. Uh, not all the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time. Anyway, um, there's only several commands. When it comes to ZT, number one, they're supposed to be on the corners of your garments. Number two, they're supposed to be tassels. Number three, there's supposed to be a thread of blue in them. It says nothing about material. It says nothing about wrapping them. It says nothing about tying them. It says nothing about other colors besides the blue. And so when I had people, right. when I had people show up at my congregation with black and blue tzitzit or red, white and blue tzitzit, uh, my first instinct was, no, what are you doing? You can't do, you can't do that. Uh, and actually, I was. It's, like, I, it's pretty cool. It, it took me a, a few minutes to, to to wrap my head around the fact of no, actually, you can do that according to the text. That's totally acceptable. And um, you know, I think that we get in this idea of herd mentality. Well, it's not just that we get in this idea that the Jews have have a standard, and that standard is biblical. But it's not. It's man made tradition. It's true. They have a standard. 
It's true they have a standard. Like, but they're uh, yeah, yeah. Agree, yeah, standards. That, uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well put. Anyway, so uh, let's move on. Okay, that that was good. We we kept it. We kept it quick. I'm also about, back to Romans seven though. He says the Torah is holy, the law is holy, the commandment holy and just and good. Yeah. I like that. Sean, again, in the chat room. Sean's on a roll today, by the way. Why do some translations say mixed fibers? There's two different verses. One of them is in Leviticus. One of them is in Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy. The one in Deuteronomy de- uh, explains the passage in Leviticus. Leviticus says mixed fibers. The uh, Deuteronomy passage specifies it as wool and linen. And actually, if we go to our Baptist Confession of 1689, uh, then we, we, they give you plenty of scriptures on why, uh, why scripture interprets scripture. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, let's keep going. So we're going to talk about a very touchy subject. And uh, so brace yourself. Uh, this is going to probably take up the rest of the time, I would say. Maybe not. Maybe it's going to be really quick. But we'll see. Our good friend. And brother in the Lord, David McDonald, up in the left wait, or the right side of Canada. Okay, wait, wait. Do we have our? Believe me, I'm a Canadian. Do we have that Canadian? I mean, I have. I, 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 I think it's. I think it's actually. Isn't it? Trust me, I'm a Canadian. Let's see. Ah, yeah, I think I do have it. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. <laughs> <laughs> and the soundboard uh, wins again. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, David <laughs> is, in fact, our resident. That's Canadian. not what David's voice sounds like. That's David's not what David sa- sounds much like. More warm and and inviting it, he, and but friendly. He, but you know what? You can trust him because trust me, I'm a Canadian here. <laughs> okay. So point being that David has written us again, and uh, we love receiving emails from David because he is he's a thinker, isn't he? He's 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 eloquent and he's uh, he's a he's a very deep deep thinker yeah and he's he's well careful careful thinker okay so um i don't know if we're going to likes this. good coffee and he likes good coffee yes and when i drank he uh, he liked good beer too oh so, uh, something i will not be partaking of again anyway okay so uh, okay that's on video now <laughs> david writes in he says uh, what is the eternal destination of a child who dies in utero or before they are able to express or deny faith in Messiah. I have some experience in this. My wife and I have lost three children in the past. An extremely emotional topic. I'm not a skilled navigator of such waters. And no, not to wrestle through it with someone who has been burdened with such trial, such a trial. The one of the more common verses of scriptures used, and I didn't realize this, so thank you for bringing this to my attention, David. He says, the one of the more common verses of scriptures used to demonstrate that such a child is taken to be with the father appears to be 2 Samuel twenty twenty three. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. End quote of 2 Samuel twenty twenty three. And focuses on the I will go to him. It seems that the notion that David is simply referring to the grave is rejected by most, and that David is presuming that his son has eternal life, and so David has confidence he will see him when he dies too. The canons of Dort codify the notion that a young child who has one slash two believing parents is saved. Article 17 says, Since we are to judge of the will of God from his word, which testifies that the children of believers are holy, not by nature, but in virtue of the covenant of grace, in which they, together with the parents, are comprehended. Uh, Godly parents have no reason to doubt of the election and salvation of their children, whom it pleaseth God to call out of this life in their infancy. End quote of Article 17 of the Canons of Dort. I would really like to believe this teaching, but I struggle with the uh, parameters. Taking such position seems to imply that some are saved on the basis of someone else's faith and not their own. Stop. I completely agree with you, David. In fact, I think that the articles, uh, the Article 17 in the Canons of Dort uh, is greatly flawed. Uh, let's keep going, which I think goes against Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of, of Christ. Okay, I understand that God may choose to save whoever he wishes, and it isn't based on anything that we do. However, I'm interested 
in how you would demonstrate from the Bible that A, believers can have confidence that a child tragically taken so young is guaranteed of eternal life. B, we all are born in sin and are destined for H-E double hockey sticks unless we are born again and are in Messiah. He is Canadian, so he had to put in the hockey sticks reference somewhere. I love that, yeah. yeah. I would, uh, I really would like to say amen to both statements, but I don't know if that is possible. Maybe there is a C. Okay, this is a great question and one that I think has been uh, a difficult position for a lot of people. And uh, this is one of the reasons that I have found such uh, comfort in being a Calvinist. And yes, I'm going to bring it there. Here's the reason why. Because uh, according to the doctrines of grace, God is the one who chooses the elect. Now, uh, for those who hold to Arminian theology, and I'm sure there are many uh, listening to us that hold to Arminian theology, but those who hold to a free will model believe that you have to choose God. God might soften your heart. He brings you up to a level uh, of, of being able to choose God, and then it is up to you to take that final step and choose God. Uh, a child who is in the womb who might die or a child who is young under the age of, I don't know, one or two, does not have the ability to understand or to confess Christ as their Savior. And therefore, uh, the Arminian theo- uh, theology has had to come up with, it, with what is called a, uh, a age of accountability. What the age of accountability is, is they say that until a child is able to, to uh, make an educated guess or an age, not guess, an educated decision towards Christ, um, that they are exempt. Uh, and sometimes you'll see the age of accountability being seven years old, six years old, 13 years old, I've seen. So different people will kind of place it in different places. And why are they able to place it in different places? The reason why is because we don't see it in scripture anywhere. There's right. nowhere where in Scripture where it says there's an age of accountability, and that age of accountability comes at seven years old. So we don't see any of that. In fact, the Arminian standpoint on this has to uh, basically make up extra biblical theology in order to satisfy our want and perhaps for some people the need to... Uh, see how God would be just in saving those whom are young, too young to, um, in our minds, be able to choose God. Okay, with all of that said, we have two examples within the scriptures of God knowing, this is covenant language, so God being in covenant with people who are in the womb. Uh, I believe it is Jeremiah who says that uh, as uh, before you knit me in the womb or as you knit together my morrow, uh, you knew me, uh, something to that effect, I'm paraphrasing. And also John the Baptist uh, was said to have been known by God in the womb. So how is this possible? <clears throat> how is this possible if, uh, if there is Arminian theology in the mix? And the answer Here, is... A, can I add it? Sure. The answer is none. Yeah, <laughs> no. Yes, the answer is none. No, but the be- a beautiful passage that we could add to this, Caleb, is Genesis 17, where the Lord reassures Abraham that Sarah, although has, who has been barren for how many decades, her whole life, is going to have a baby. And in verse eight, and he laughs. Remember, he, he yes. laughs. He falls on his face. He says, how is this possible? Right. And Abraham uh, said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Yes, yeah. And then what does he say? He says, no. God says, no. Yep. Sarah herself is going to have your son. And you're going to, not only that, you're going to name him Isaac. And not only that, I'm going to establish my covenant with him and his seed after him. Right. So God's like, boom, 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 boom. Like, he's like telling Abraham, and this is still a year out. So, right. so Isaac hasn't even been conceived yet. Boom. So, uh, yeah. so, and this, again, this is, this is back to Genesis. We're looking at the Torah. We're not, we're not trying to take some word of Yeshua or Paul and try to twist it to make it mean. Yeah. We, I mean, ultimately we can keep the, uh, we can keep the Romans nine idea out of it. Right. 
for now. I mean, well, I mean, uh, yeah, and, we don't and have in other to. Words, people who, are, yeah, exactly. We yeah. don't have to go to Romans nine is the point, and and Roman for those who might not know, Romans nine is the go to passage for uh, the idea of predestination and and uh, and the doctrines of grace, but. We don't even have to go there. We have these instances where children are known by God before they're born, and as Rob has just demonstrated, even before they're conceived, given a name, given a name, and well, oh, we knew that. We knew, uh, you, you know, the angel told Joseph, you know, you're you're going to call him Yeshua. The angel told Zechariah, you're going to name him Yochanan. They they were already named, right? Zechariah's son was named before he was conceived, right? Right? Did I get that right? He, he uh, says you're gonna, you're, she's gonna have a baby. Our resident artist uh, Alfred in the chat room, uh, and I'm sure it's pushing one o'clock. It's one o'clock there by now, and he's still typing in the chat room. Ephesians one five. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. Does that mean just the Ephesians, or does it mean me and you as well? And the answer is, it means you and me as well. Um, so great. Uh, all of this to say that if we believe in here's how the uh, here's how the age of accountability can be true if god predestines those whom he wills to be the elect then we can uh, assume that god could predestine any child that would die before a certain age if he so willed now, I'm not saying that's what he has done. I'm just saying that the only way that the age of account- accountability can be seen as biblical is if we agree and suggest that God is the one who uh, who uh, chooses the elect. If you believe in the doctrines of grace, then you can have an age of accountability. If you don't have, uh, if you don't believe in the doctrines of grace, then the age of accountability is not a biblical concept. So, the to answer David's question. My the way that I uh, am able to, and I've had to counsel people who have lost children uh, at you know in utero, and I've uh, I've had to go through that myself with my wife. Uh, and one of the comforts that I have always gone back to is that God chooses the elect, and therefore I believe that if it is God's will, and I believe that I fully believe that it could be and probably is His will. That I will see the children that we have lost. We lost one at a later later stage as well, um, and that was the hardest one, of course, because you know by this point, second trimester, uh, you know you you've gotten to to know a little bit about this child, um, and so it is my belief that uh, we will see this child when you know in the afterlife, when when we die, and the reason why is because God is able to choose whom He will choose. When we trust, we, we have unshakable trust that God is just and right and, and exactly like perfectly, yes. perfectly just. And that in the end, when all the books are open and everything is seen, there will not be any, all the testimony about God's righteousness will just be, will shine all the brighter. No one, there's not going to be any contesting voices, you know, because even, even, even those who hate God will have to confess that he is just. Right. Yes. Right. Absolutely. They're going to be forced. They're going to be forced to see that it was their, their own sin, right? Their own. Yeah. It, it's tough. You know, there's, there's, it's a, it is a, it is a tough topic because it's yeah. because of just the, the grief and the sadness and the, the, the hope that we have for children, you know, and it's, it, this isn't even, you know, there's sometimes, you know, accidents can happen that are very violent, you know, and that can take a life of a loved one. You know, there's other places where people say, oh, God must not be just, or why did he let that happen? You know, that's kind of a, a side conversation that is connected sometimes with this, this specific discussion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult topic. And so, uh, yeah, you want to, no matter what. If you're in the place of of counseling someone who has lost a child like that, uh, the best thing to do is to try to be as uh, sympathetic. And it's not a time to have a theological debate with someone. It's a time to comfort. Yeshua says, "Blessed are those who mourn; they shall be comforted." Right. We have to trust. We we have to trust that. We have to trust Yeshua's words. 
Yeah. And now he says that they will be comforted. How will they be comforted? Well, we have to put it's in the Lord's hands. Uh, he doesn't say don't mourn. Mourning is, he says, blessed are they who mourn. And um, so that means there's something bigger than, yes, it's good. I mean, he wept at Lazarus, right? Lazarus in the grave, Yeshua wept. That's the shortest verse of the Bible, isn't it? Jesus wept. <laughs> right. Um, why did he weep if he knew he was going to resurrect him? Because we're wired. We're wired to to have that that compassion and that that um, connection of with the with the loss and the grief and that and that sadness and longing for hope of life, you know. And then the the grief of the loss of life. But it's also in that context too that we have the affirmation: "I am the resurrection and the life." I mean, it's like. This is Yeshua testifying about, you know, the big picture, not to minimize the pain in the immediate, but, but to remind us about the bigger picture. Okay. So uh, on the, the, the back of this conversation, we've talked about Arminian versus uh, doctrines of grace. So very many times on this show. In fact, we had some people say that we became, uh, what was it? Calvinist matters at one point. Which, uh, which we found funny. Um, anyway, uh, so Sean, who is our South African uh, in the chat room right now, he wrote in and he, he initially wrote a, a, a email. Um, and I think I'm going to read the second email uh, first because I think that this might actually go with our previous conversation better. After writing my previous email, I couldn't pass the thought that you guys believe in once saved, always saved. It simply did not sit well with me that this is a biblical view until I realize that you do not endorse the Arminian view of it, which is how I have been looking at it from my, for, for my entire life. Here's what I think. I believe that if we choose Christ, then we can fall away, absolutely. There are many that choose Christ only because they are in Christian families and grew up in the church. What does it mean? And at this point, we'd have to define what it means to choose Christ. But yes, I believe that people do not have, quote, free will agreed, but they have their will or I, yeah, they have a will. Correct. These people have their will and choose Christ, but out, out of their will, but they have not been called by God. Their free will not their free will is not freedom in the sense that they have they are free from all bondage. It is that they are slaves to their own will and not the will of God. Yes. I also believe there is a way that these people can be saved when they truly call upon the Lord to be saved. I relate this to my own story where I sat in my room last year after reading 1 John 3, 4 through 9 and saying, Lord, please give me a heart like your heart. Make me to refuse to sin so that I can be truly born again. Something happened to me after that, and here I am, keeping Torah, a place I never thought I would be. I do believe that even though praise I... Praise God. Yeah, praise the Lord. That's all, that, good, good writer, too. That's yeah. good writing. I do believe that even though I chose God at that moment, he did not choose me yet. It was only after a time that I believe he called me. I do, not even, I do not ever see myself going back to the way I lived before. And once that happened, I think I experienced the once saved, always saved that you were talking about. If God calls you, you're saved. There is no work we can do that can save us. Agreed. We cannot turn to God and think he must save us because we have said a prayer. We can cry out to the Lord and he will hear but he will call us if our hearts are truly for him. And I would say that those who truly call out, uh, those, those whose hearts are softened to follow the Lord, uh, call out because they have been called. They, they, they respond right. the to classic, the call. The classic question is, is, re, is regeneration before saving faith exactly. or after saving faith? That's the core question I'm hearing come through is, is that's the issue on the table here. So, when does yeah. when does regeneration occur with respect to saying someone has faith? Okay, so he goes on. If that's true, then I believe that once we're saved, we're always saved. I've been bringing your shows. I've been bringing your shows all week, and I will. I've been bringing your shows all week, and I will admit 
I'm still trying to understand this Calvinist slash Arminian thing and whether I find either entirely scriptural. I feel like the gospel is trying to get lost people, those who are slaves to themselves, who are not the elect, to pray unto the Lord and ask him to give them the faith that's required to be saved, but he judges their hearts and decides. I honestly do not feel like I was saved before this change. I would agree with you. So my view at the moment is this, God has his elect, and then there are the rest, who are slaves to themselves in unrighteousness. They can, all, they can call upon the name of the Lord, and he will answer, but only if they are after truly his heart, he will call them as it is in his word. So, okay, let's break this down a little bit. Yes, um, I, I think that what's going on here for me is that one will not truly turn to the Lord. One will not truly... Now, you might have people say, and we see, we've seen this before, right? And the, the scripture says they, they fall away after they taste of the Holy Spirit. And what, what does that mean? Does it mean that they've had the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> Hebrews 6 is a big one. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I would say no. What it means is that they see the working of the Holy Spirit in the community. Yes, they've been believers. around. Right. Yeah. They, they've seen the working of the Holy Spirit. They've seen the regenerate. And yet they still are not willing to conform to God. And to me, at that point, when they fall away from the community and they fall away from the Lord, I would say that it shows that they, didn't, that they never had a heart to truly follow Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that they d- may not. So, and what do we mean by believe or have faith? This doesn't necessarily mean that they believe that there is a God or that they believe that Christ actually came to earth and died. But it's what because because ultimately the demons be, believe that they say, you know, they they call out Yeshua, we know who you are, right? So the demons knew that God there was a God and that Yeshua had come to earth, right? But that doesn't mean that they had faith. Faith is the willingness and the uh yeah, the willingness to uh and the ability, I would say, but the willingness to follow Christ at all costs. I say this often and with with recognition of of one's own depravity. Exactly that 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 it's this is God's work. This is absolutely has nothing to do with me because I'd be in a trash heap. <laughs> exactly, um, and so it, you know I it's even pinned to the top of my Twitter account. Salvation is totally free, but it'll cost you your entire life. And so it's at this point when we say yes, I'm willing to go through persecution. I'm going to, I'm willing to go through death. I'm willing to go through whatever it is because I'm following God and I've given my life to him. That is the point of, of regeneration. But I would say that a person can't truly say that in their heart to really believe that and, and mean that until they, they have been called by God. It is you the calling that allows a you person know, to Caleb, do Caleb, what you're saying reminds me, I've been reading in second Corinthians lately and second Corinthians 11, Paul Paul's not one to get much into biography, but he's hearing of what he calls the super apostles, right? Right. And, the, and they're false brothers, and they're going around preaching a different Jesus, a different gospel. This is what, in the 50s, right? In the first century, the temple's still there. He's writing saying, he's saying, look, what do you need from me? He's like, I, I, how many times was I in a shipwreck? I, I spent the night in the middle of the ocean. You know, I've been beaten I've been stoned. You know, I was let out of a window to escape when they wanted to kill me. Like how, how many lashes times did he receive lashes? Now, is he doing it? Cause he's boasting. He's like, no, he's like, and, and he's saying, I preached to you without, I never asked anything from you. Why, why is he, why does Paul take this time to derif, differentiate himself from other people that are teaching something called the gospel and they're teaching something about this guy named Jesus. And Paul is is adamant that it's another Jesus, that it's a different gospel, and they're receiving a, a different spirit than they had received. And he's he's uh, warning them, and it's it's a pretty meaty passage biographically in terms of all these troubles. And I'm thinking of that when you talk about it'll cost you your life. I mean, Paul was all in. But uh, he doesn't. Paul doesn't lead with that kind of biography. He he leads with the message. Um, but when he needs to, he will use bi- biographical accounts to help say, "Look, 
you know, following Yeshua is going to cost you everything. And it's not about pleasing men. It's not about these other things. So, and there, so there's religious people in the first century on the, who outwardly look like they love God, like the rich young ruler, right? I've kept all these commandments from my youth. He says, you lack one thing, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And he walks away and they're like, well, then who can be saved? Because externally, the, the apostles, the disciples must have looked at this guy and said, wow, this guy is like, he looks like he exemplifies love of God and Torah observance. And here Yeshua, he went away. And what does Yeshua say? With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Cecil in the chat room says, how would you explain Romans 10 stance about confession? And this is Romans 10, 8 and following. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach, that if you will confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, it should be that if you confess, I'm in a, hang on just a second. Let me change to a good translation. Uh, Okay, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses right. and is saved. Um, so Paul elsewhere, Paul elsewhere says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Right. But at the same time, Yeshua can say, many will come to me at that day and say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, oh, depart from me, I never knew you. Right. Are these, are they all talking, are these all incompatible, or are they all saying the same thing? They're all saying the same thing. Yeah. Oh, okay, uh, Oh, well, I was just going to say, well, we, yes, I think that Paul is, is saying something very specific. We know that uh, people, so for instance, someone who is deaf and mute obviously is not going to be able to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, like physically with their mouth, right? And so the, the point is, is that this is not saying that, that a person, if a person doesn't say the words, I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord with their mouth, that they're saved. You know, they, they can't be saved unless they do that. And someone could say those words, and it might not be by the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Because and it's it, not going to profit them anything. Exactly. It, ultimately, the point is, is that if you say that you have faith, but you're unwilling to say, to tell people that you believe in Christ, or you're ashamed of Jesus, or something like that, you're ashamed of, of faith in Yeshua, that's not real faith. We, are, we give our lives in, in allegiance to our Messiah. That's the point. And we say that through the through the Holy Spirit, and it's coupled with true belief. It's it's coupled with belief in your heart. We believe in our heart, which means that it it pours out of the of the heart into our lives. And that's the new create. That's new creation heart. That's the, that's a, that's uh, by faith, right? By faith alone. It's, so it's not just a magical formula. Paul is Paul is not giving you a formulaic phrase. So that, oh, you know, repeat after me. Right. Da, da, da. Oh, you're in. Yeah. I, I, there's something in the chat room that just... That, that, subject, that would subject God to formulaic, like, like we're in control then. And we just say the, like the Harry Potter kind of thing. You know, you say hocus pocus, you say the words and boop, you have what you want. Um, I want to r- roll back here to Sean... Uh, Sean's comments. He says, uh, they uh, can, I honestly do not feel like I was saved before this change. Okay. Um, I think we might also need to talk a little bit about the fact that we live within time. What that means is, is that God has placed us in time. And the question is, was I saved before I accepted Christ? In other words, did, did Jesus die from the foundations of the world for, for me? And the answer is, Yes, but yeah, I, but was I regenerate and was I quote unquote saved before I accept Christ? Accepted Christ, and the answer is no. Until no. until that change right. in time comes, we're not saved. However, here, here, here's a perfect example: the end of Galatians two. But the li- the life I live in the flesh is is by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Right. I will not set aside the grace of God. For if Christ, uh, for if just righteousness comes from works of law, then Christ died in vain. What's he saying at the end of Galatians two? He's saying, I Paul here in history, writing in the what the late forties, 
am confessing that Yeshua, who died nearly two decades prior, loved me and gave himself for me. But we have a whole history of biography of Saul of Tarsus that is absolutely antagonistic to regenerate life. Right. But Paul is confessing that he loved me and gave himself for me. That, That is such a powerful thing. First of all, it's individual. It's not, there's times, yeah, he, he's died for the elect and it's this general group. Paul is using first person singular. He loved me. I personally, Paul, am the object of Christ's love. I personally, Paul, Yeshua thought of me. He paid for right. me. That, and that's true for each one of us who are in Messiah. We have that. That, that's one of the most beautiful and mind-blowing things when you think about how awesome Yeshua is. Like, it's, it's inexpressible. I'm, um, for some reason, when people talk about, like, within time, I, maybe it's because of the work that I've done in Luke, but uh, I, I'm, always, um, I'm always reminded of, of the Passover and the Passion when, he's, when he says, uh, let's see here. Is it in First Corinthians or is it in Luke twenty-two? He says, "This is uh, this is the cup that is poured out for you, uh, out for you is the new is the new covenant in my blood." Mm-hmm. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me. Okay, so the point is, is that he says this is, and I think this is expanded in in uh, the First Corinthians passage as well. But basically, the point is, is that you have the new covenant being enacted for Abraham. Right? Abraham becomes part of the new covenant. Because he he finds salvation in the Messiah, uh, faith in the Messiah, in the coming Messiah, he is saved through that. Okay, so he's part of the new covenant. Yet the 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 new covenant itself, the blood that is going to be shed for the new covenant to be effective, is not actually shed until years, you know, years and years and two thousand years after Abraham is on earth. So there is a point in time when all of a sudden that takes effect and it it affects both ways in time, right? Eternity in both ways, the blood does. But the point is, is that God works within time and time is something that we have to consider when we talk about salvation and these kind of things. Um, the chat room is kind of going just off at this point. Not not off topic. They're just, it's just, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, good comments though. The difference between believing and obedience. The demons believe but didn't obey exactly. Um, so yeah, there's a different when we talk about faith. And I think that this is maybe one of the places that some forms of Christianity have gone off the rails. The idea that if you just, you know, faith is just a a belief um, that something has taken place. That's not actually what faith is. Uh, faith it, faith will change you. True faith will change you, right? And will have you follow after uh, fo- follow after God. Um, so yeah, okay. Do we want to say anything else about that before we move on? No, I just just to recap that that it seems that the issue that the email is addressing is on the question of where does regeneration happen? on the timeline with respect to a person's confession of faith. And so some would say, oh, I believe they, they see it as their choice. And then, then they tell the story about themselves that they chose. And so from a, from a regenerated heart perspective, it feels like you're a real choice because it is your, it is a whole person investment, but theologically, biblically, we cry out, like back to Galatians, he says he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We don't, if someone could say Abba, Father, without the spirit of Christ, they're still, they're sure, they're saying the same words, but Paul's talking about a spirit thing. He's saying, God, it's the implanting of the spirit, and then the confession. It's an act of God. It's an act of new birth, regeneration. New creation. Right, These are right. acts of God. Okay, I want to, I want to change gears here for just a second. And Up this, or down? This will finish our yeah exactly. This will finish our uh, our conversation out. So this is a total change of of topic. Evelyn writes in and she says, "Question: When Paul wrote Romans fourteen, did the dis- discrepancy between Sabbath 
for Sunday already exist? If it did not yet exist, is it correct to use Romans 14 today in order to leave Sabbath observance as a matter of opinion for believers? Okay. Uh, That's an awesome point. Uh, Can I answer it? Absolutely. Go for it. I would say if you haven't, look at Tim Haig's Romans commentary, chapter 14. It's a great it's a great question. And my answer is right along with that you'll find, you know, no different from, from what you'll find there is, yeah, this, this Saturday Sunday issue was not an issue in the fifties. <laughs> right. You know, Sabbath is a presumed commandment, right? It's, it's just a given. They're not, when it talks about honoring the day and not honoring the day, it's not talking about the Sabbath. And we also have to look at later uh, scribal tradition. There are some uh, Christian uh, later scribes, like centuries later, that add uh, phrases there. And then you have to look, and you'll see that most, uh, obviously, if you compare, let's say, the NASB with the King James, where there's Romans 14 has additional sections, just like we see in Acts 15, Acts 21. Uh, there are later scribal editions that are, make it into the what we call the Texas Receptus, and therefore inform the King James. Uh, I'm a fan of the King James in many places, but uh, if you're going to read the King James if you, if, and you're looking at Romans 14 or Acts 15, you've got to look, you, you can still look at the King James, but make sure you look at an NASB, a net Bible, right? ET, uh, uh, ESV, any of those. Okay, so um, a couple of weeks ago, somebody was talking about the Council of Laodicea, and actually, I've been wondering if uh, so. I'm I'm thinking about doing a, an in depth study on the the Council of Laodicea. I think uh, you should. I think I probably should as well. Um, it, it's interesting because one, some of the things that I've just been studying recently is the fact that uh, at the Council of Laodicea, they say that that uh, Christians should not keep the Sabbath because it's part of Judaizing. However. This council, first of all, it's it's considered to be a minor council. So there's there's seven major uh, ecumenical councils. Not that I would agree with all, everything that was said in the first seven ecumenical councils. Um, in fact, that's not the case. And I I actually have been pondering this as well. But that's for another another show. Um, but the Council of Laodicea is is considered a minor council, and uh, some of the things that they determined were fishy at best. But it's interesting because at the Council of Laodicea, they decided that the Sabbath shouldn't be kept on Saturday. This actually was not standardized until at least 100 to 150 years after the Council of Laodicea. Now, certainly there were Christian churches that were, were worshiping on Sunday. I'm not denying that. But there were it was mixed. There were Christian churches that were still meeting on Saturday, on the Sabbath day, well after the Council of Laodicea. And there's good evidence to prove this. Um, and so... All of this to say that um, uh, certainly in the 50s, the idea that the Sabbath was changed to Sunday, I don't think that there's any historical evidence for this whatsoever. Now, I know that people are going to point to the several places within the apostolic scriptures that say, and they met on the first day of the week. I don't see this as a problem. In fact, I, I don't understand why this would make us think that they changed the Sabbath to Sunday. Um, basically what I see is late, much later, hundreds of years later, people trying to take things that the, that the church decided and anachronistically read them back into the first century text of our Bible. And so um, the point is a very good point by Evelyn. And the answer is, yeah, the, uh, the, I don't think that the church had any idea that, this, that the Sabbath was done away with and so, uh, or changed to Sunday. And so when we read Romans 14 in that light, in the idea that no one believed that the, that the Sabbath was done away with or that it was changed to Sunday, now all of a sudden we come to the text of Romans 14, no one's thinking, oh, of course he's doing away with the Sabbath. That would be because in, in the first century uh, mindset of both Jews and Christians, the Sabbath was a was a covenantal marker forever. It is a sign between me and your fathers forever that in six days God made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Genesis 2, right? So the point is, is that from the beginning of creation, it was a sign forever, and we see this time and time and time and time again throughout the Scriptures. So for a first-century Jew and even a believing Jew in the first century to come to Romans 14 and say, oh, of course, God did away with the Sabbath— that would take a, I mean, it's just, 
that wouldn't happen. Right. It's just and, outside and, the realm of possibility. And in Romans 14, the verb for, like some translation will say, observe the day. It's not, it's not tereo. It's not, it's not the verb normally used with keeping the Sabbath. Right. Uh, in, in Greek. It's, it's be mindful of. It has to do with a, a different uh, uh, nature of, of reckoning days, which you can look at, again, Tim's commentary for that. Okay, everybody, it's been fun. It's been real. Uh, I want to encourage. Yeah, I I encourage you to uh, go uh, shoot us uh, emails. Chag at torresource.com. Chag at torresource.com. You can also uh, send us or record a message on our answering machine. 253-465-3205. We will be back next week, I believe. We will be back next week, and uh, we will talk about something else. Whatever it is that uh, we talk about, that could be up to you. Send us messages, and we'll figure it out. Until then, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? I think you know why. It's because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.